Good evening, brothers and sisters in Christ. Today is Christmas Eve. On behalf of the diocese, I bring greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and wish you and your families a blessed Christmas and a happy new year. It is indeed great to see all of you face to face here. On-site worship is still the preferred choice for many of us because it brings about a touch of physical presence, some degree of bodily connection that makes us feel a little more human and real. And that helps relationship building greatly. The importance of the physical is the core of our Christian faith and clearly demonstrated in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The arrival of God, bodily present in the human form as Jesus, dwelling amongst us and connecting with us in flesh and blood. That is what Emmanuel is all about. This is also what Christmas is, something worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. And we are not alone celebrating, for the world is with us in jubilation. During this season, as we walk along Orchard Road, I believe many of us will be impressed by the Christmas decorations and lightings put up by the tourism board and shopping malls. Believers and non-believers together, we celebrate Christmas. We exchange gifts, spending time together with families and friends, express our care and concern for one another. As some will say, love is the reason for the season. To a very disturbing and unsettling world, such expression of love is indeed significant. To many in the world, Christmas enables them to put aside their sorrows and sufferings and worries, at least for a while. In celebration, we are being transported into a surreal world of joy, even though such joyful experience is short-lived. Because to many in the world, life remains a struggle. Recently, I read an article about Singaporeans' spending habit in this season. At a time when many of us are facing financial stress and trying our best to cope with inflation and price hike, the top, which is 20% here, remains unchanged in their spending habit. The rich are less affected, certainly. Some may even be making a lot more during the crisis. However, to the rest, in particular, the bottom 20% of the population, the poor, 
socially marginalized are always the forgotten and neglected groups. To them, Christmas is but a shadowy reminder of love happens once a year. The gap between the rich and poor ironically is greatly magnified as the world celebrates Christmas. This is the unfair world we live in. Sadly to say, none of us here can do much about it. We can't turn it around. However, the good news is our Lord has not abandoned this unfair and destitute world. As Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, Luke chapter 1, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Christmas is about the arrival of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only reason for the season, not Santa Cross or his red-nosed reindeers. I hope you got it right. The coming of Jesus magnifies the love of God. And this love of God is for everyone, especially the poor and destitute. It is not without reasons why a hurdle of shepherds was the first among all people to receive the good news. Most of us today may have a rosy image of the shepherd in the Bible. We are told of many great stories, for example, Moses or King David. However, do we know that shepherds are people? The society during Jesus' time will not take notice of. They are at the bottom, the lowest strata of the society and considered by many to be a bunch of uneducated, poor and religiously outcasts. They were religious outcasts because they could not observe Sabbath regularly. The fact is they needed to work on Sabbath. The sheep under their care do not take a break or fast during Sabbath. In other words, the shepherds will not be the ones expected to carry branded bags and do shopping in luxe boutiques along Orchard Road. The question is, could the shepherds or the poorest 20% amongst us celebrate the season of love? Could they? Is there anything for them at all? It is therefore not surprising to know that the shepherds were greatly shocked and surprised at the announcement. The angel had to comfort them and say, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Luke chapter 2. Indeed, who would expect such important news to be first announced to the poor instead of the rich? Why not the rich? That's the norm of the society, isn't it? The world. Why not the rich but the poor? We can ask. The answer could well be because it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Matthew chapter 9. Again, who is the healthy and who is the sick? As much as who is the rich and who is the poor? I believe two stories in the Gospel of Mark can help us here. In Mark chapter 10, a young man ran up before Jesus and asked him, how to inherit eternal life. Jesus pointed him to God's commandments and asked him to fulfill them. The young man then replied, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Very much disappointed by Jesus' reply, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. I'm sure we are very familiar with the story of the rich young man. The key here is, although the young man is very rich in wealth, he is in fact very poor in spirit. His poverty is made known by his refusal to sell all that he has because he very much prefers to keep all to himself. Unwilling to share, unwilling to share is the mark of self-centeredness. Underneath such selfishness is actually a serious lack of commitment to God. Ironically, God is not the focus, even though the young man has observed the law very well from young. And the result is certainly he went away Sorrowful. What we have in this story is how richness and poverty are being redefined in the light of the gospel. To Jesus, richness has nothing to do with how much money one possesses, but how he or she uses the money, especially all that he or she has. Remember, it's not how much you have, but how you use what you have. That will determine whether you are rich or poor. And this principle is clearly demonstrated in the story 
of the poor widow's offering. Another familiar story. Mark chapter 12 says Jesus was watching the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large sums. A poor widow came and put into very small copper coins. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Verse 43 to 44. Indeed, we should praise God and give thanks that many rich people are giving generously to God. We must continue to encourage them because it is only right and good to do. However, in the story, what captures Jesus' attention is the offering of the poor widow. The sum is too insignificant, two very small copper coins. But the key is she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. What a stark contrast to the rich, especially the rich young man. We see in this poor widow a huge commitment to God, a sign of selflessness. To her, God is everything. By her small offering and all that she has, she put God in the center stage of her life. The poor widow is indeed godly because God-centeredness is godliness. And I say it again. God-centeredness is godliness. As Christians, we do with a grateful heart thank God for all that we have received from God. Although to give thanks to God is right and good, it does not necessarily mean godly. Being good is one thing. Being godly is another. Sometimes the two are not interchangeable and may not overlap as much as we wish. It is interesting to note that the rich young man came to Jesus first with the respectful acknowledgement. Good teacher, he said. Good teacher, it implies the young man has certain understanding of being good. To be good is indeed good. To be good, to be a good Jew is what inspires him. For that, he has committed his whole life to observe God's law from young. It is good to be good because every parent smiles at a good child. Every teacher loves a good student. And I can say, every pastor, I think Bishop is included, 
likes a good Christian. Do you agree? And there is no excuse. That's fine. And there's no exception as well for Jesus. Because Jesus looked at a young man and he loved him. He is good. Today, we can find many good Christians around us faithfully obeying God's commandment like the rich young man. They portray themselves to be pious as they always pray and read the Bible, observe the law. It is certainly good to be good, but sometimes... But sometimes we come away with a feeling that these good Christians made us feel a little uneasy, unreal, and inadequate. Uneasy because they look too good, sometimes too good to be true, to be human. Are they real? We ask. Inadequate because their seemingly pious behaviours made us feel small, as if we can never be as pious and spiritual as them, no matter how much we try. Don't get me wrong, without question, they are good. But, there's a but here, but are they really good? That begs the question why Jesus responded in an unusual way by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 18. An insightful phrase written by Evelyn Wall in one of his novels says, she was saintly, but she wasn't a saint. She was saintly, but she wasn't a saint. Being saintly is one thing. Being a saint is another. We may say the rich young man is saintly. He is good, very good as some Christians around us, but the young man is not a saint. He is not a saint because he walked away from Jesus, refusing to commit everything to Jesus by giving his wealth away to the poor. He is no doubt good, but being good religiously and pay little attention or no attention to the needy will not make him a saint. The poor widow, however, has a different impact on us. The gospel does not say she is good. Most likely, I guess, she is like one of us here. Very human, very weak, and certainly not saintly. But her story inspires us. Her faith in God encourages us. His offering of two small copper coins gives us hope. It makes us feel more ourselves and believing that we can be like her. If the poor widow 
can do it, surely I can do it as well. There's a sense of openness in the story and unlimited space for us to learn and grow in trusting God, to give everything to God and commit ourselves fully to God like her. The offering of the poor widow has the effect of enlarging our vision and our world, making us feel that there is still something beautiful in this treacherous, unfair and suffering world. Sometimes, rather unexpectedly and pleasantly caught us by surprise. For that, we can give thanks. Her story gives us a sense of encouragement and hope. Unlike the story of the rich young man, discouragement and hopelessness. What we have here is the difference between God-centeredness and self-centeredness. Richness and poverty, goodness and godliness. Indeed, the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago has ruffled many things and turned our world upside down. But God does it out of His love for us. As Zechariah says, because of His tender mercy of our Lord, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Luke chapter 1. With the coming of Jesus, the light of heaven shines in darkness and leads us to the path of light and gives us peace. In Christ, all of us here can be rich like the poor widow. Nothing in this world of suffering and unfairness can stop us. We can be rich not because of our wealth or our merit, but purely because of the grace and mercy of God. Jesus says, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Indeed, because of God, we all can be a man after God's heart like the widow. And this is the message of Christmas and it will always be in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.